0: The following podcast is equivalent to a TVMA rating thanks to the author's strong and frequent use of adult language and graphic recollection of her sexual escapades. We strongly advise listening alone or with an extremely open-minded, politically incorrect companion, such as a gay bestie. Welcome to How Bitches Are Made, the podcast I'm your host, Rachel Melvin. Thanks for joining us, guys. If this is your first listen, be sure to check out our introductory mini-sode, which gives you a brief overview of this podcast and introduces you to the cycle of how a bitch is made. If you're a returning listener, welcome back, bitch. Let's continue on our journey, shall we, with this week's story. The following is a true story, as sad as that is for me to admit. Names have been changed to protect both the innocent and the anything but. Chapter 8 Sticks and Stones When I first started writing, the one piece of feedback I always got was that I had a strong voice. This was always interesting to me, as I didn't feel I had much of one anywhere else in life. I never expressed my opinions or desires when it came to relationships or fought for my artistic integrity when it came to auditioning or being on a set. In fact, I almost always eradicated my intuition in favor of echoing the voices before me that felt more trustworthy and safe. Breaking away from the pact and honoring my truth was, frankly, something I found very threatening. I could say the wrong thing, get the wrong kind of attention, or jeopardize my potential for success. But around the age of 22... Something happened that began to change all of that. I was on my way to deposit a check at the Bank of America in Burbank, a stone's throw away from my first apartment building. I often walked there unless I had somewhere else to be. But with the day off and the Urban Outfitters closed for remodeling, I was free to take all the time I needed. Which is why it didn't bother me as much as it normally would have when a man cut me off at the bank's entrance trying to get ahead of me in line. When I caught up with him between the vinyl ropes that formed the waiting queue, he opened up his body towards mine. I raised my eyebrows, ready to receive what I assumed would be some sort of explanation attached to an apology. Instead, he looked at me and said, My God! Do you eat? What do you even weigh, like a hundred pounds? I stood there stunned, and all I could offer in return was a correction, as if the weight of my body was any of his business at all, and as though the extra five pounds made any difference anyway. I'm 105, actually. The truth was, though it did make a difference. To me. I had been working my ass off to break a buck for years. Solely motivated by a 20-year desire to shut people like this jackass up. Since the age of five, I've been aware of the fact that we live in a society where thin is considered attractive and fat is not. And I know, no one has any sympathy for the skinny girl complaining about her inability to gain weight. But that's exactly what further complicated an already complex and delicate issue that had been bothering me for years. You see, just like being fat, there exists a certain kind of shame and anxiety around being thin. Especially when it's something you've been taught to shut up about and internalize your entire life. Because as you're taught, no one will like it, or you, if you don't. Pretending comments on my size didn't hurt my feelings or influence my impressionable mind into thinking there was anything wrong with me was something I'd been doing for decades. I'd eaten past the point of satisfaction in multiple cafeterias, commissaries, and catering on a number of occasions, just to prove to strangers I didn't have an eating disorder, and to avoid yet another uncomfortable conversation, convincing skeptical faces of the same. Now, after years of feeling my mere presence was agitating, if not antagonizing, to the larger frames around me, I had finally grown tired of carrying the weight my body lacked. I stood there, burning a hole into the back of this man's head in front of me. I didn't know how he could feel so comfortable offering commentary on someone else's body in the first place. How could anyone? I would never dream of saying to a complete stranger, Jesus, do you ever stop eating? What do you weigh, like 503? And just like that, the old wounds from my past began to viciously tear open. Middle school memories of girls following me into the bathroom after lunch to see if I was throwing it up. A girl in my 8th grade gym class whose physical abuse over my size resulted in me having to transfer schools. With every passing second a teller didn't summon that guy toward them and away from me, the faster my blood boiled. I owed it to my younger self to address this inappropriate behavior. So I did. Thanks for your concern, though. It was an underwhelming retort, to say the least, but I wasn't entirely sure how else to get my message across without it getting lost in emotional translation. I'd hoped sarcasm and a passive-aggressive approach might be enough to do the trick. But as is typically the case with most ignorant audiences, it wasn't. He simply nodded as though he had genuinely done me some sort of service. Though, in a small way, I suppose he had. A few months later, my body was once again the subject of public ridicule. Rumors had circulated online that I'd become anorexic under the pressures of working in daytime. Comments were made by people who hated me, others from people claiming they didn't but were simply concerned about my health. Nonetheless, I found myself needing to confront the issue yet again. Only this time, it wasn't with strangers I'd never see again. It was with fans I depended on in a myriad of ways. How in the hell was I supposed to address this? especially when it had the potential to backfire and turn the very people I needed against me. Luckily, it wasn't all that difficult, thanks in large part to a documentary appropriately named Misrepresentation. I'd seen the movie around this same time, and within the first five minutes of the opening credits, a 14-year-old girl breaks down as a result of the verbal abuse she endures at school for being too thin. Suffice it to say, that shit hit real close to home. Me being a small person, like, at my old school, I was told to, like, go throw up or, like, go eat a hamburger because people thought I was, like, anorexic or something. So I would, like, eat a lot so that um, people would think that I wasn't, didn't have an eating disorder. Like a reflex, my eyes immediately flooded with tears. It was a comment I'd been on the receiving end of so many times. And in an instant, I reverted back to the wounded child I'd been conditioned to ignore when I was still living as one. Though somehow, the pain I was experiencing now as a young adult was so much worse. While I could have waited for the online chatter to eventually fade, my burden seemed instantly magnified by the weight of all the other young girls and women I'd just been made aware of who were fighting the same battle. And just like that, my concern for likability was superseded by an overwhelming responsibility I suddenly felt I had. Before I knew it, words were pooling out of my fingertips as I composed an honest blog I hoped might educate the ignorant, give voice to the silenced, and unite two opposing forces who seemed incorrectly pitted against each other for years. I felt surprisingly comfortable sharing my opinions and experience. And I suppose that's because I knew it wasn't mine alone. My words were ultimately met with an overwhelming and positive response. That's the thing about being part of a team. You're a lot more powerful and strong when you feel backed by others standing in your corner. Which might explain why, after social media came into the picture, this battle became much more difficult of a fight for me at 30. I'd forgotten to pack pretty much everything when I went on location to film in Chicago last summer. My eyeglasses, an umbrella, sandals, the small crossbody purse, which provides a more challenging obstacle for muggers, and Sin Among Sins... "'any of my cub's paraphernalia. "'It was a wonder I'd remembered to pack any underwear, "'let alone the 15 pairs I had, "'especially considering I was only in town for eight days "'and my cycle had ended a week prior. "'So it was hardly surprising "'when I had nothing suitable to wear "'to a fundraising benefit my friend had invited me to. "'In a bind and needing something cute, "'affordable and fashionably acceptable enough "'for a photo on Getty, "'I strolled over to Rush Street "'where a Madewell sat with its doors dependably open.' The sales associate was like my own private stylist, knowing the potential of a garment far better than I, and insisting I try it on, despite my initial reluctance. Though it wasn't my style, I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised at how much I liked the print and silhouette of a dress I never would have picked out for myself. 30 minutes later, I was eating my own words, and a slice of Lou Malnati's pizza, then rushing up a street named after the same adjective to get ready in time to catch the L. Looking back into the hotel room's full-length mirror while inserting an earring and giving myself the once-over, I thought to myself, I did pretty well. Oh, this would be a great time to take one of those fashion selfies I always see celebrities post. I grabbed my iPhone and took a shot. Now, I'm aware I have a long way to go before I'd ever consider myself a celebrity, or might even ever feel comfortable referring to myself as one. But as if taking the picture with only one earring on wasn't indication enough— I still have a pretty long way to go when it comes to Instagramming like one, too. The photo posted a few days later, and I was anxiously waiting to see who might notice the earring faux pas. It had become an inside joke with myself that I desperately wanted to share with someone else. When I woke up the next morning, I scanned the comments. She looks like a P.L.W. Someone should tie her down and force feed her a hamburger. (laughs) Her chest is so flat the bones underneath could inflict damage to someone laying on top of her. It was the same stuff I'd been hearing my entire life, and to be honest, I was a little bit underwhelmed by the lack of originality. Friends and strangers had come to my defense in the wake of my social media absence, becoming insta-targets themselves. It seemed an all-out war was raging, and not one person had so much as noticed my missing earring. Setting that disappointment aside, however, I immediately confronted the bigger issue at hand in what I considered to be a poised, albeit cheeky, fashion. I know small chests aren't everyone's thing, but luckily they have been for the men I've dated. Sort of like how small dicks aren't every woman's thing, but they have been for the few girls I'm sure you've dated. I figured giving these guys a little tat for tit was more than warranted. I beamed with pride at my playful yet pointed response, traded the gram for another kind, and went about my day, eventually sharing my pride with a few friends and family IRL. Oh my god, did you see my Instagram? How awesome was my response? I don't know, I would just kind of ignore people like that. I mean, you can't give trolls like any attention or they'll just take it and run with it. I don't know if I'd do that. Otherwise they'll know they're bothering you and it'll just continue. Let your fans handle it, okay? Cause then they'll do it and you still come out looking like roses. Suddenly, I felt an entirely different kind of shame that, if possible, affected me in a far more damaging way than the initial comments on my Instagram page were intended to. Here were people who truly know me, love me, and are supposed to understand me and everything I stand for. And it seemed to me they were encouraging me to put the tape back over my mouth and roll over in the wake of wrongdoing. I knew in their minds they were only trying to encourage me to take the moral high road. But if my dad's afraid of literal heights, maybe I'm just as afraid of metaphorical ones, and I can blame that shit on genetics. You see, to me, ignoring small problems is like ignoring cracks in something's foundation. It worsens over time, eventually threatening the stability of the entire structure. And the fatal flaw in taking the high road is that you have a lot further to fucking fall once your bedrock is shaken. Still, feeling unsupported and in the minority I wondered if perhaps they were right, and contemplated deleting my response. That's when I saw the most bothersome thing of all. I don't know how you tolerate this shit, Rachel. It was one of only two female voices I didn't know personally on the entire thread, and it broke my fucking heart. In that moment, I knew I had to make it crystal clear I wasn't about to tolerate anything. Ever since I created How Bitches Are Made, I've been challenging myself to live as the woman I'm asking and encouraging others to become. After all, how can I ask people to be something I'm not? The action I took, defending my own honor, speaking up when I should have, appropriately holding another accountable, felt not only instinctive, but necessarily responsible. I wanted to respond to her, I don't tolerate it, neither should you, neither should any of us, but... Actions speak louder than words, even though in this case, taking action could only be done with words. So, against the better judgment of others, I simply left my initial comments up for all to see, and took things one step further, obnoxiously tagging the ignorant posters in every hashtag body shaming, hashtag skinny shaming, hashtag feminism post I could find, and encouraging those Instagrammers to follow suit, all in an effort to further educate my perpetrators on such topics. That was after I blocked them all, of course, because when you think about it, that's really the beauty of social media. With the click of a button, you can drown out all the other voices and focus solely on your own. Welcome back, bitches, to episode eight of Habam. You've just heard the story entitled Sticks and Stones, which is not only about body image and the importance of using your voice effectively, but about the power of community. And if you remember, that's one of the primary reasons I created this podcast in the first place. It was to find and build a community of like minded individuals because strength in numbers is a real thing, it's so powerful. It's so easy to feel alone and internalize what we're going through every day, especially in what I refer to as a Pinterest society, where everything has a filter and looks perfect and everyone's encouraging you to be positive and grateful all the time. But what happens when we start to talk about the quote-unquote negative things is we actually start to feel more positive (laughs) because we end up connecting with people who validate our feelings about our experiences and end up supporting us through it. And that was really my biggest takeaway from this particular experience. As I mentioned in the story, It took me a really long time to find my voice. In fact, when I started writing and people were saying, as a writer, the best thing you have going for you is that you have a strong voice, it was a surprising thing to hear because I just felt so mousy in my everyday life and I didn't realize that in private when I was writing and journaling and doing scripts and all this stuff that the real me was coming out and I guess maybe that's why I fell in love with writing in the first place, but What I really want to talk about first is this documentary that I referenced called Misrepresentation. So I went to see that with a couple of my really close friends, and what was really interesting is one of the friends that was with me had said to me on multiple occasions, you need to eat a cheeseburger, you need to go eat a sandwich, are you eating enough, eat some mashed potatoes, which sidebar, mashed potatoes are my fucking favorite, but So she was sitting next to me in the theater, and when this girl came on screen and was saying essentially the same things that I'd not only heard multiple times in my life, but I'd heard from the person sitting to my right, I became so emotional. I felt like the girl in the movie was speaking for me, and what was so powerful about it is this was a girl that was 10 to 15 years younger than me, and she was giving me that power. So that was a really cool feeling. The movie also gave me purpose, too, because it was the first time I felt like I really connected with a cause, so to speak, with the idea of body image. And I connected to it from a unique perspective that we don't really hear much from. People don't really talk about being too thin because, as I said, thin is considered beautiful. So why would that ever be a problem? But it was to me. It was always a problem. I'd been hearing it my whole life, and it really bothered me. And any time I talked about it with anyone, it was immediately shut down. Like, don't say that shit. It makes you really unlikable. You sound like an asshole. Or my mother would be like, people are just trying to compliment you. You have to take it as a compliment. All of these things that were being said to me were devalidating, right? Which just makes you feel more resentful and hurt and frustrated. So I had been sitting on this let's call it a sore for a really, really long time. Now, a couple of years ago, I ended up going with another friend of mine to this camp called Camp Grounded. And Camp Grounded is essentially a tech-free camp, so you're not allowed to bring in um, a radio, a digital camera, your cell phone, anything like that. And it was a three-day camp where you don't use your real name, you're not allowed to talk about work or what you do, and you can't even say the word work. There's no drugs, no liquor, and the reason why is it's designed to take away all the masks that we hide behind in our daily lives. It was a really cool experience where you actually get to know someone for who they really are deep down, not the way you perceive them based on what their name is, where they're from, where they went to school, what they do, things like that. One of the things that we did in camp, Every day was we would sit around with our camp counselor and our what do you call it village? It's so funny. I never went to camp as a kid. So this as an adult was like a great experience for me. So we would sit around with our village and our counselor would kind of lead us in a particular activity for about an hour. And one of the days she read to us this, I guess really it's an excerpt from a book called The Eaters Agreement. And if you want to see it actually in text, I will of course put it on how So our counselor had read that excerpt to us, and it provoked a lot of emotion from the group of females that I was sitting amongst. And there was, of course, a lot of talk about what you would expect, which is people's relationship to food, how it's so complicated, how as a woman we have to worry about our physical appearance, because that has been instilled in us since we were little, that that is what our value lies in, and misrepresentation highlights that point as well. But What wasn't being talked about was when you come from the opposite side of the spectrum, like myself. And as I sat amongst this group of 20 plus women, I just sat there really, really quiet, feeling like I couldn't say anything that I wanted to say because I would be the skinny and sensitive bitch who was saying the things you're not supposed to say. Well, as I was sitting there on resentment, bottling it up and feeling really aggravated that I was being silenced by my own volition. This girl across from me at the circle, just before we moved on, raised her hand and said, I have something I need to say. And she said, as somebody that's naturally thin, I feel like I can relate to this in a unique way. But what upsets me is that I don't feel I can talk about it. And I feel safe amongst this group to share these feelings that I've been sitting on for so many years and I immediately started bawling. (laughs) I just started crying and I raised my hand and I was like, oh my God, that's how I was feeling too. And it kind of had the same effect on me as seeing the girl in the documentary Misrepresentation. I felt someone had given me a voice. Someone had shown me it was okay to speak up. So this was kind of a big moment and ultimately this conversation at camp because I started crying then I started talking about the stigma of being thought of as sensitive and how I haven't let myself cry in so long and what ended up happening was I started to get like snail mail letters from these girls in the camp and one girl sent me a pin that said cry because it feels good and we just really bonded and we really shared such a vulnerable deep connection And I still talk to these girls to this day. They live all over the country. So it was a really cool experience. But that, again, is the power of community. Body image was one of the first things that I was fully confident in speaking up about. And I think it's easier to use your voice when you fully believe in something because you don't concern yourself with how other people will react. Today, it's a little bit harder to do because we're so aware of this mob mentality that exists on social media, right? It's like you can say something with the purest of intentions, but if it's not said in the way that's most politically correct, people will just attack and team up on you and that's it. That's over. You don't even have a chance to prove your innocence or your well intentions because that's just not the society we live in right now. And I do think that that's going to change because it's just like it's too much and everyone's feeling fucking over it. But I was really afraid for the longest time of saying the wrong thing because of my profession. I mean, you really depend on the general public to support you and the minute they turn on you and even the industry too. There's two separate entities, right? That's made up of the collective. And if either one of them turns on you, that's it. Your whole life is over because the way that you depend on survival financially is dead. So there's that pressure and awareness that really (sighs) limits you from using your voice. And it's really tragic. But again, when you really know yourself inside and out and you've honed your voice, you can say whatever you want to say so long as you're saying it properly. And that brings up a really interesting insight I'm going to share with you, which is this podcast. Everyone does unscripted podcasts. They're easier. It takes A fraction of the time, those of you following me on social media know how long I've been developing this, and that's because it's scripted. Why is it scripted? Because I'm much more comfortable putting things out into the world that I've thoughtfully thought through. (laughs) I'm too afraid of saying something that can be taken out of context and then taken the wrong way because my livelihood depends on it. And also, I just don't like to piss people off. (laughs) You know, I'm a very empathetic person and I I can relate to almost anybody and see their perspective. And I'm really sensitive. It's not even I don't want to upset people because I don't want them to not like me. I don't want them to feel misunderstood because I hate feeling misunderstood. But it is really important to speak out. Not only does it build community, but it inspires and draws attention to important issues. Just as the girls for misrepresentation and camp supported me in speaking up, we have the same effect. And staying silent may be the safe option, but it really does do more harm than good. Here's why. It causes you to stew and build resentment and feel oppressed. And we know how that plays and factors into the bitch cycle, right? Right. It also limits your growth, your ability to evolve, your ability to expand your vision, and most importantly, connect to your tribe. Speaking out also inspires change because it implements what we talked about last episode. It corrects bad behavior that people may not even be aware that they're doing or that they have. Quick sidebar that I forgot to mention in last week's commentary, which I'm so upset that I did, When I said that it's important to speak up in order to prevent problems from perpetuating, this is a quick story that supports that. So we all knew I got pussy poked, pussy grabbed in last episode. And um, not while I was recording it, obviously. If I did, that was just me masturbating because this is just me by myself, guys. (laughs) Um, But basically I had said, you know, if this guy's doing that to me, he's doing it to other women. And if I don't tell him it's wrong, he's going to keep doing that to other women. So... I had this friend, let's call Elena, and Elena was a teacher of mine for um, a class that I was in. I'm trying to be so vague here to protect her identity. And she went and got a massage. And midway through the massage, she felt something on her face. And she opened her eyes because her face was down in the headrest. And her monsieur, is that how we say it? Monsieur's dick was in her face. Just fleshy, giant... I don't know if it was giant, but fleshy penis just poking her in the eye, essentially. So she lifts up her head, and she goes, Oh, no, that's not going to work for me. So he goes, Oh, I'm sorry, and removes the headrest and then stands there. And she goes, No, I'm not going to touch you or put that in my mouth or whatever you think is going to happen. Like, that's not what this is. And he was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. And he puts it away and then finishes the massage and she leaves and i go "Ah, uh, elena did you say anything to his employer she goes no i felt bad i didn't want him to get fired why not <laughs> that was my question I mean, if he's doing that to you, he's doing it to other people. And P.S. I have a problem with this story. Why the fuck would she give you the happy ending? She's the one paying for the massage. Hello? Anyway, we all in the class were like, Elena, you have to go back there and say something. It's not okay. You can't feel bad. You're not responsible for this guy keeping his job. That's his responsibility. His actions have consequences. You need to say something. So I was very proud of her. She ended up going back in there and saying something, and he did get fired, which he totally should have. Like, sorry, you can't fucking do that. What world do we live in? Oh, my God. And Elena is not a naive 20-something. She's a 50-year-old woman. So that just tells you how many generations are struggling with a very similar problem. So anyway, that was something I left out last week that I really wanted to share with you guys. Going back to today, I also think it's important to mention that passion and emotion are two different things. So we've talked about not speaking up against things when you're in an emotional state And there's a couple reasons why we avoid doing this. One, we're not being thoughtful about the words we're using. And two, people tend to, they tend to see your reaction more than they're hearing what you're saying. So the point often gets missed or misinterpreted. But when something like, for instance, body image created and stirred up such a strong reaction and emotion in me, and then I had fully understood why, then I knew how to speak up about it. And it has always been done from a place of passion now when people say things to me about my size if it's wildly inappropriate like the man at the bank because that was I would be like that's really none of your business and you shouldn't be talking to strangers like that but like the other night I just went out and had drinks and my neighbor I met his girlfriend for the first time and she was like oh my god you need to eat you're so thin (laughs) Obviously you can hear from my sigh. It bothers me, but this goes back to picking and choosing your battles. It's not really worth it. I know it bothers me because it's a trigger for me and she didn't mean it maliciously. So I just need to let it roll off my back. I know that you can't offend somebody that's not offensible. And this is an issue where I tend to get offended because again, it's a trigger. It's a sore spot for me from childhood. Uh, I want to talk really quickly about the power of what people refer to as impulsiveness, I call it intuition, versus hesitation. I have usually found that when I have an immediate reaction to something, it's my instinct being assertive and I never stop to question or consider it. Now, if I hesitate, I give myself time to check in and think things over before I follow through with the decision or even make the decision. Here's an example to kind of further illustrate that. I have four tattoos. Two of them, I fucking love. The other two, I'm like, eh, whatever. So the two that I love, I walked into this tattoo parlor and I had an idea of what I was going to get. And then as I'm waiting, I'm flipping through the book and I see something in in the artist's book and I'm like, no, that's what I want. And I, I changed my mind, got that tattooed. I fucking love them. The other two that I sat on and thought about for a year, I went and got, they're all right. So that's sort of what I mean. For me and my personality personally, when I am sure about something in a moment, I know without question that that is what I need to do. And so with body image, that's sort of what happened to me as far as speaking up. It was something that I so deeply connected with that there was nothing that was going to shut me up about it. So when I had people telling me, oh, no, take the back seat, let people handle it for you, It bothered me, and it did cause me to hesitate because, as we talked about in previous episodes, I was doubting myself and trusting other people's opinions more. And you have to be really careful when you do that. You really have to think about the person you're taking advice from. Are they a good example of the kind of person that you want to be? Are they living their life in a way that exemplifies what they preach and showcases the kind of life that you want to have? If the answer is no, don't take their advice. And even if you do take their advice, you should only be taking it if you fully agree with it. This goes back to really knowing yourself inside and out and trusting yourself. So make sure that you're doing that. We're going to explore the power of intuition in next week's episode when I end this season with a story about another epiphany I had, my greatest one yet. This is a pretty fun story, you guys. <laughs> I, or maybe it was just fun playing out in real life and recalling, but it was a good one. So be sure to join us for that. It's our season finale. Um, if you can't wait until next week, feel free to revisit your favorite episode of this season so far, or multiples. Like, subscribe, and share with fellow bitches you think would find a cozy little nook in our community here. And visit How Bitches Are Made for up to date information, blog posts, trans scripts and cited materials from this podcast be sure to follow us on social media at how bitches are made save for twitter where we're at habam tweets because they don't fucking like profanity it's crazy to me how we can say bitch so flippantly on network television but we can't use it in a twitter handle anyway if you'd like to follow me personally i'm at the rachel malvin across all platforms thank you for joining us and remember consistency is key stay bitchy my friends How Bitches Are Made is written and produced by Rachel Melvin.